Hey, Islanders, and welcome to episode 53 of the Camano Voice. On this episode, I speak to the previous owner of Mark's Camano Pharmacy. Please welcome Mark Fibbs. Hi, I'm Brandon Erickson, and you're listening to the Camano Voice podcast, where I interview folks around Camano Island and beyond. If you want to stay up to date on events, businesses, and even hear a little history of this area, Subscribe to this podcast and share with your friends. Thanks for listening. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another episode of the Camino Voice, where we release a new episode every Tuesday. On this episode, I got to speak with Mark Fibbs, and as I mentioned before, he's the previous owner of Mark's Camino Pharmacy before it was closed down. And uh, so we get to hear his whole story, how we got um, how we got interested in being er, in pharmacy. Um, how, where he graduated school, um, and then eventually kind of the whole story of Mark's Camino Pharmacy from start to finish. Um, and then we also get to find out what he's up to now. But I had a great time with Mark. Um, some of the life lessons that he learned throughout his uh, childhood, just from his dad and things like that, are just, um, I don't know, it, it's, it's great to have advice from parents and stuff that is just still good advice till today. Um, plus kind of the state of how uh, health insurance and stuff like that and how that affected the small pharmacies. We get into that a little bit as well. Um, and like I said, lastly, we get to dive into what he's working on now and uh, what he sees as his future. So anyways, uh, please enjoy my conversation with Mark Fibbs. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another episode of the Camano Voice. Today, I'm here with the previous owner of Mark's Camano Pharmacy. Welcome to the podcast, Mark Fibbs. Oh, thank you, Brandon. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, thanks for joining me. All right, so before we get started, uh, tell us a little bit about Mark. Oh, my goodness. Um, that that's, uh, could be a long story. I, I tend to tell long stories, unfortunately, so I'll, that's try fine. And get to, I'll try and get to the point here. Uh, gosh, I guess born and raised in Washington. I was born in Everett. Uh, Grew, grew up uh, kind of in between Bellevue, Renton, and Issaquah back when there was nothing there. Okay. Uh, people don't believe me that Bellevue used to be uh, three stories was the tallest building at Bellevue. And I went away to college, and every year I came home, I didn't recognize the town I grew up in. <laughs> uh, from there, then I've lived, gosh, from Gig Harbor, as far south as Gig Harbor, and as far north here as Camano Island. Okay. And all points in between. Okay. Very cool. <clears throat> Um, so you said you started, you were in Everett area then, um, so you went to school and everything down there? Actually, I was, I was about f- three and a half when we moved down to the, the house, and it was an area called Newport Hills, so I ended up going to Newport High School. Okay. And I graduated from there, I went to Washington State University. Oh, and, nice. And, and majored in uh, uh, pharmacy uh, then. Actually, I didn't meet my wife till I was about 28 years old, and we were married a year and a half, to, a year and a half after we met. Okay. And we just have a little bit of a rivalry. She went to the University of Washington. <laughs> so we've gotten, after 29 years, we've gotten used to it. But Apple Cup Day, sometimes it's a little tough. <laughs> oh, well, very cool. I, uh, I also went to Wazoo, so we're good there. Go Cougs. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so how did you get, um, what, what drew you to pharmaceutical or pharmacy? Well, my father was a pharmacist. And uh, growing up, I, I just was always fascinated with not only medicine, but just the, the practice of medicine, whether it was a uh, doctor, nurse, physical therapy. I went to Washington State University actually toying between either pharmacy or physical therapy. And we were on semesters, and I remember 
during semester break, I started looking through the curriculum, and I realized both those programs really kind of took off, and it was time to make a decision or I'd fall behind. Uh, and then I just really felt pharmacy was, was where I wanted to be. Uh, interaction with the people, hopefully teaching um, people not only about the medication but their, their bodies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I remember when I called my dad and told him that, at first he tried to talk me out of it. And I found out <laughs> later, well, it was because he felt, as the oldest son, I think he was worried I was doing it because he, I w- it was expected to do it. Okay. Uh, and I think when he realized that I really, truly wanted to do the profession, he was, he was in 100% with me. Matter of fact, he owned a, a pharmacy. And when I was going to school, I'd, I'd go to breaks and work, work with him for him. And, you know, he had me do things like dust shelves, check for outdated medications and that. And I remember thinking, well, gosh, I want to do the other things. And he said, well, these are things you have to do as well. And this is a good place for you to start. <laughs> <laughs> After I graduated, uh, we had a talk and he, he could have hired me at the time, but we felt it was, it was good for me to my, make my own way, mm-hmm. uh, kind of test my, my own way. And at some point, I would buy the store from him. Well, similar to what happened with me, long story short, he, when he went to retire, he called me and offered me the store, as he promised. And he said, but as your father, I recommend you don't buy it because he saw what I was doing at the time. He, he said, I think you're better off doing what you're doing. Um, I started out with a, a pay and save, which doesn't exist anymore, actually. Uh, when I first got out of school, it was very difficult to find... Uh, job. And I'd interned with a pay and save as uh, part of a summer program and also at Valley Medical Center down in Renton. Okay. So I worked part-time at pay and save and part-time at Valley Medical Center because uh, full-time jobs at the time, <clears throat> excuse me, were not, were not uh, really available. I can remember many interviews being told I needed five years experience <laughs> before. And I remember I finally asked somebody after probably about a 20th interview, how do you get five years' experience if you can't, no one will give you the chance to get started? <clears throat> he, he said that was a good point, but that was just the reality of the situation. So I guess I tell anybody, whether you're have gone to college or you're going to the trades or whatever you're going to do, don't give up. <clears throat> just keep persisting. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think once I got established and in, then many doors opened for me. Yeah. You know, pharmacy is a really small network, and you, you just, over the years, get to know a lot of people. And if you don't know the person, you'll, you're darn well going to know someone who does know that person that's in the profession. Okay. Which is kind of a nice thing, mm-hmm. because we're kind of a, uh, a group that tries to help each other out, and, and you have things to bounce off people, ideas, thoughts, uh, new trends in medications and that. So it really is a, a, almost a... I would say fraternity because there's there's lots of women in the in the profession as well. But just there's a there's a feeling of that we're all really trying our best to provide what's best for the patients. Yeah, it's, it's, I'm proud to have been a pharmacist for so many years. Yeah, yeah, very cool. So where was your dad's pharmacy then? He was down in Federal Way actually. Federal Way. Um, he uh, was a pharmacist who worked for a drug company for years called Eli Lilly. At the time, Lilly only hired pharmacists to represent their products. And my father did uh, what they called government sales. So he went to Madigan Hospital, uh, all the VA hospitals. He would go to Portland and uh, Spokane, uh, Fairchild Air Force Base. He also, two or three times a year, went to Tokyo and Manila oh, okay. to, to visit the, uh, the uh, uh, bases there. Um, I can remember going to a few of his, his displays, and I just remember 
he, he was almost more of a teacher than a, a salesman. I, I, I know they now I think everything's really trended more towards sales and mm-hmm. that, but I think at the time it really was an opportunity to be a teacher. Uh, and I think that's where you get the most joy. Yeah. I mean, any, anyone can count to 100. Yeah. <laughs> uh, some slower than others, me included. But, um, you know, what you find is that, that your interaction with the people and your, your understanding and, and knowing that when you get a health crisis or a health problem, it, it can be very scary to the patient. And you hopefully are there to assure them guide, and guide them. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's where the joy of the, of the profession comes. Yeah. That's funny. That's um, actually the, the five years experience thing. I feel like that's very common in many professions that was when i was graduated with a mechanical engineering degree yeah. um every job application was two to five years experience two to five years experience yeah and i started just ignoring if they said that and i would just apply anyway <laughs> exactly and i think you know if you show persistence i i actually learned that lesson very early on when i was 16 years old uh, if you're older old like me you'll remember Farrell's ice cream parlors is a very popular uh, place you have sit-down meals and ice cream and that type of thing. And a buddy of mine worked there, and he said, hey, they're hiring for two dishwashers. Go apply. So they had, I think it was between two and five, you showed up. Well, I walk into the room, and there are probably 45 people there to apply for these two dishwashing jobs. I just couldn't believe it. So after waiting my turn, I, I probably had about a 10-minute interview and just sat back and waited. Well, a week or two went by, and my buddy asked me, hey, how'd it go? I said, I think it went pretty well. He said, did you have your second interview yet? I said, no. He goes, oh, well, you got to go have your second interview. I said, oh, okay. So I drove into that store every day after work asking for my second interview. Finally, after about two weeks, they set one up, and I went back and had a second interview. Well, apparently I did well enough there that I actually had a third interview for a dishwashing job <laughs> at Farrell's Ice Cream Parlor, and I met with a manager. And after that interview, I was one of the two hired. Now, at that time, you had to be a dishwasher, and then if you did well, using two to four months, you'd get promoted either to the ice cream part or the kitchen part. If you could do a year or two there, then you got promoted to waiter and waitress. Now, I found out later that I hadn't made the cut in that first interview. But because I kept showing up asking for my second interview, they finally said, let's interview the guy. So it's kind of funny. It just—it was a good lesson to me that if you're really passionate about something or really want something, you don't be rude about it, but but don't give up on it. Keep pushing for it, and, and things will things will open up for you. Yeah, that was actually the hardest job I ever ever got. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Sometimes those those first jobs. I know um, my wife. One of her first jobs, she had a um, uh, like this boss that like really pushed her. Um, she was good and she was very direct and, and, sure. um, but she like pushed her really hard. And ever since then, she's like, every job after that was very easy. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think it's good to, to get a job early on to teach you, uh, uh, expectations. I mean, we have them in school and that too, but I, I think once you get it out into what they call the real world, you know, you can kind of excuse your way through some of the things at school, then that doesn't work out in the workforce. Right. And so I think it's really good to learn those lessons early on. Yeah. You can have bosses you don't get along with. You can have coworkers you don't necessarily see eye to eye with, but you have to learn to navigate those and and be part of a team. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's definitely very important. And something we've um, 
thankfully been able to continue on within the marketplace, it seems, you know, we've had people that have joined us and then have kind of moved on on their own fruition because they don't fit. They, you know, they're like, they try and start gossip or they start these other things. And um, (laughs) then they find out that the words just got right back to the person and they're they're like, hey, by the way. Right. Right. So when they're confronted on that, they're like, okay, never mind. (laughs) You know, yeah. And that's kind of sad. And I, and I think too, that you have well, a, a real dear friend of mine who uh, started a company down in Seattle years ago said when I, how did he phrase it? When you have people that don't fit and they quit, he goes, be, be happy for the self-terminators. That's what he said. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yeah, there was another, yeah, with, when it comes to hiring and HR and stuff like that, like, um, you know, building a good team and, and it makes sense to some degree, even for a position like a dishwashing position, sure. why you do so many, you do follow-up interviews. You you kind of give it a little bit of time to settle so that you really get to know the person more than just the one-time yeah. meet and greet. Well, when I hired, I like to uh, have people come in and work a few hours. I, of course, I'd pay them for it, but I have them work a few hours with us, not only to see if we thought personality-wise they'd fit with us, but would we fit with them? Because yeah. it's important both ways. I mean, right. You need, you're going to have a honeymoon phase, but once that ends, you've still got to work with it. <laughs> <laughs> yep, for sure. Um, so you went to Wazoo then, and then you said you were kind of bouncing around uh, Pay and Save, Valley Medical Center. Uh, where'd you go from there? Well, I, so I did that for about two years, and then there was a job uh, in the Renton area that was being uh, advertised for that someone to run to manage uh, the pharmacy, uh, and this gentleman was an independent pharmacy, and he uh, he kind of had a gift shop, a, uh, a perfume section, uh, yeah, mainly many gifts, perfume, and then the pharmacy, and he was an independent guy, and so I, I thought, well, what the heck, I'll go apply for it. Well, I think at first, you know, here I'm this 25-year-old kid with two years experience applying to run his pharmacy. And I think he was a little skeptical, and it, he asked me to come back and uh, interviewed a second time and ended up working with the staff for a few hours. And uh, I think I went back a second time, if I recall right, and then he, he offered me the job. Uh, so even though he owned the store and kind of oversaw me, I was in charge of the daily operations of the pharmacy. I didn't have to do books or payroll, that type of thing, but as far as ordering and and scheduling and, and making sure the place ran, that, that was kind of my first experience. Um, I then got this opportunity to open a uh, brand new pharmacy uh, that the hospital, Valley Medical I worked with, was opening up. And oh, I was so torn about that. And I remember asking my dad for his advice. And he said, nope, that is up to you. You've got to decide, do what I taught you, write down the pros and cons of each. Try and take the emotion out of it. Well, I ended up taking the job. And the plus was that I got the opportunity then to really start before the store opened. I had to set up all the initial inventory, the computer systems, the insurance contracts, and all of that. And then we opened, and that's when kind of the issues stepped in that then the hospital administration kind of came in and kind of tried to run it because they wanted to do what they considered to be the fun stuff. Now, the good news is I met my wife at that hospital. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So actually, probably about nine months later, uh, a gentleman called me up and said he was looking for somebody to start a pharmacy in Muckleteal. 
and would I be interested? And so at this point, my wife and I were just about to be engaged. And I said, well, my only issue is, because at that time you didn't get insurance. I mean, I'm just just because I'm married, I'm sorry. You didn't get vacation for your first year. Uh, my year wouldn't be up by, by the time our wedding was going to be. So he he, oh, he gave it. me he he <coughs> let me take a week off for uh, for my honeymoon, which I appreciated. <laughs> so I ran that location for, gosh, fourteen years. Wow. Okay. Uh, and then we were purchased. We were bought out by a, a large clinic, and I kind of realized, like you and I talked about, uh, I didn't fit anymore. Um, I had seven or eight bosses that I had to report to, all with the different ideas, and it just wasn't wasn't a fit anymore. So again, talking about a small world, uh, a gentleman that I had done uh, my externship with at Swedish Hospital was looking for what they call a clinical pharmacist. And so I went to work there, and I would go to different nursing homes and talk to doctors, nurses, sometimes patients, review charts, make suggestions in that. So I was responsible for nursing homes from, uh, let's see, Paulsbo up to Friday Harbor. And you'd go once a month, some took two or three days. So at that point, my wife and I had kind of been toying with Commando Island for several summers. We'd, we'd come up and poked around, you know, but she was working in Everett, I was working in Muckleteo. And it just didn't seem like a good fit at that time. Well, Mm -hmm. when I took this job, suddenly it didn't really matter where I was. And Debbie said she didn't mind driving down to Everett. Uh, So we ended up buying a house up here about 15 years ago. Okay. And worked worked doing my my little traveling bit, and Debbie continued her work. Well, after about two years, well, I guess a year, year and a half after being here, Again, a small world, and a gentleman that I knew uh, as a pharmacist, Mike Bloom, had a pharmacy here on the island. So on occasion, if he's in a pinch, I would fill in for him on Saturdays. Okay. And one day he came to me and said, I think I'm going to retire. Would you like to buy the store? Okay. (laughs) Kind of caught me off guard, but we uh, did our due diligence on the business and talked about it. And it always was a dream of mine to own my own store. Mm Mm-hmm. So we, we jumped at the opportunity. Yeah. And that would have been, oh, my goodness, this is terrible. February of 05 uh, is when we, when we uh, took over the business. And it was, uh, it was a lot of work. Uh, I, unfortunately, I, I could not have done it. My wife actually cut down to part-time. She's an occupa- uh, occupational therapist. She cut down to two days a week in, in office. Okay. And the rest of the time, she helped me with all the paperwork. Uh, there's absolutely no way in this earth I could have done it on my own. Yeah. Uh, there were not enough hours of the day. You run a small business. You you know that it's just it's too much. Yeah. So she took care of payroll. We I jokingly called her my payroll, HR, IT, whatever else needs to be done person. <laughs> <laughs> so I pretty much ran the day-to-day, the ordering of that, and she she did most of the paperwork for me. Uh, it was a it was a blessing because, like I said, I could not have done it without her. Yeah. Then we fast forward, gosh darn, fourteen years. Well, thirteen, yeah, thirteen years. Uh, and over the previous two years before we closed the business, healthcare was rapidly changing. Uh, 
My wife and I kind of saw the writing on the wall when they passed the Affordable Care Act. Uh, we probably read more of it than the people that voted on it did, mm-hmm. quite frankly. Um, and some of the things that we saw in there, we realized that there was going to be some changes that would probably not allow us to continue. Really, really hoped... I'm going to be 59 here in, in, in about two weeks. Really hope to make it to 62 or 63. When it became evident over the last two years that that wasn't going to happen, um, we were fortunate enough to be able to sell the store. Literally, the, the, the final blows were, uh, over the last two years, nine insurance companies would not allow patients. We couldn't participate in their in their plans. So, Brandon, if you had an insurance plan and you wanted to come to my store, I had to have a contract with that insurance company. Okay. Well, the growing trend was that these companies Mm -hmm. were going out picking two and three major players and saying we're contracting with them and that's it. There was also a subgroup of that, okay, we'll let you contract, but you won't be what's considered to be a, a prime vendor. So in other words, if you came to me, your copay might be $10, or if you went to QFC, for example, it might be $5. Mm-hmm. So that, that was several plans. And then we saw the major plan on the island building their own facility and realized that our days of being able to take that contract were numbered as well. Mm-hmm. So doing the math, we kind of figured that we're, in the next year or so, we're going to lose 74% of our business. The emotion of it one. I wanted to keep doing it. I loved what I was doing. I loved this community. But the reality was it just wasn't going to be able to uh, continue. Mm-hmm. If you... The hard part with Medicare right now is the, the Part D, which is the drug component, is every county in the nation has different insurance companies that are allowed, that are in that county. Okay. So... If you're in a county where you're allowed to take that plan, you're fine. Mm-hmm. But you're at the whim of the following year if that insurance pulls out a new insurance that comes in and decides they're going to only choose these people. So it's not so much anymore about providing access so much as it is about controlling the market. And mm-hmm. I'm too small. I too small to I, I, I can't I can't I don't have the, the power of a Kroger or of a of a Bartels and those types of things. Um, so when you get that large, you're able to, you know, obviously offer more stores, but but you can have a little more power behind you that if you say no I'm not gonna take that contract, the insurance comes to listen. If I say I'm not gonna take that contract, they go, Okay. Right. Uh, one of the other things that mm-hmm. happened with Medicare especially too, and for example, if you were taking a blood pressure medication you filled at my pharmacy, if you didn't take it properly, let's say, so if you filled a 90-day prescription, but you refilled it every 140, 150 days, well, what would happen, whether it's my pharmacy or another pharmacy, if you weren't taking it properly, we were, we were assessed what they called DIR fees. So because that patient wasn't taking it, I had to pay money back to the insurance company. Um, this all came about because of what they call star ratings. Uh, initially, it was brought on to to give the insurance companies star ratings, and they would be fined if they didn't get didn't get they wouldn't get as good of contracts from the government if they didn't have good star ratings. Well, they aren't going to take that penalty by themselves, so they pass it down to the doctors, to the pharmacies. So, 
it, it, what they wanted me to do then was to call patients and try and get them to take the medications properly, which they don't mind doing, but there comes a point where the time element is a factor. Mm-hmm. And I'm all for people taking the medications properly, but there's also reality, there's also freedom of choice that some patients say, you know what, I don't want to take that anymore. So there's a, it's gotten very complicated. Yeah. Um, and again, I, I, I'd like to say it's, it's for the right reasons, uh, everybody wants better health. We have lots of medications we know are helpful for certain situations if taken properly. Mm-hmm. I mean, another example is if you're diabetic, we recommend you're on an aspirin, a statin for cholesterol, and what they call an ACE inhibitor. Uh, not only for blood pressure, but it helps protect the kidneys. Now, if you're a, a diabetic patient coming to my store or any other pharmacy and you're not on those three things again, we get, we get a fee that we have to pay. Back to the insurance company. Now, I'm not able to write prescriptions for those things. Mm-hmm. So that's really out of my control, and I think that's what made it very difficult. Unfortunately, in Island County, um, well, there's two this year. But last year, there was one major player in the individual market or the Medicare market. And so if that individual player is squeezing to a point that you can't stay open, mm-hmm. unfortunately, you have to close. So we did feel fortunate we were able to sell. Yeah. Uh, I did go down to work. I sold at the QFC Pharmacy, and I worked for them for about 11 months. And I think my wife and I talked, and it was time for a change. Yeah. Uh, it's hard when you're used to calling your own shots. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know... It, it's it's been a good break. I was in talks with a with a group uh, just prior to COVID happening. Uh, it was going to be more of an educational type of situation, uh, direct talking with uh, doctors and and uh, patients about medications, proper use, reasons for taking that type of thing. And when COVID hit, unfortunately, everything got shut down. So things are on hold right now, but that's okay. Yeah, um, my yard looks better than it's ever looked. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's good. I've, I've heard that's a common uh, side effect of COVID. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Should have owned a hardware store, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so I actually had a question because this is something it, there's a lot of things that like I, when I interviewed um, uh, Luke Planbeck from yeah. the sheriff department um, and uh, as I interview these people, there are certain things that we interact with on a fairly regular basis, like pharmacies and the, um, you know, hopefully not too often with the sheriff department. <laughs> right, but, right. Um, but you you interact with them, but then you don't actually know like what are the ins and outs of like what do they do versus like what do other people do. So like as a pharmacist, what what was kind of your like in school and then upon having the pharmacy, are you actually mixing medications? Are you just tracking them? How? What oh. is kind of your job side? About? Well, for the most part, uh, I mean, a lot of people just think of it about we're counting to a hundred. Uh, whenever we get a prescription, we review every profile, every patient's chart, as it were, and make sure the drugs they're taking don't interact with other drugs they're already taking. Uh, we also make sure they don't interact with any diseases they may, may have that may affect that. Uh, and so if those things do, do occur, we will call the doctor. Uh, sometimes the doctors don't realize that another doctor wrote for something that interacts with what the patient's already on. Mm-hmm. So then we try and give suggestions as to this will give a similar result without that interaction. 
Uh, we also, uh, again, back to insurance. Uh, insurance, as many people know, dictate a lot of what is and what isn't paid for. So then we try and help the doctors, again, navigate through, okay, I know you want this. We can try and get a prior approval for that. But in the meantime, while we're trying to get approval, here's what we could try to see, to, to try and come up with the same outcome. Okay. I think the biggest thing and my most enjoyment came with talking with the patients, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's advice on over-the-counter things, uh, prescription drugs. Even people would come in just with um, advice just on general health type yeah. of issues. Uh, and that's and that's where the joy comes from. Yeah, I wish I had all the answers. I I, I don't. Um, my father instilled in me early on to never be afraid to say I don't know, but mm-hmm. then followed up with, but I'll find out. Yeah. Uh, we actually had a test in pharmacy school that they would ask a question, and they didn't want an answer to the question. They wanted to give they, they wanted you to give an example of the best reference source to look to find the answer. And I think what they were trying to show us was. You can't know everything. Yeah. There are going to be things that come up every day uh, that you're going to going to have to stop and, and research, and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. It's, it's a big world out there. Right, <laughs> right. And there's new medicines, new things that are coming out all the time. Sure, sure. So I'm yeah. sure. Yeah, we do, we do require to do continuing education every year. Uh, you know, when, you, when you're, it's hard to believe, I've been a pharmacist for 35 years, and I would still come across things I would learn every day. Uh, it's pretty unusual to have something come into the store that I, I wasn't prepared to handle, uh, but there, there were always interesting things. And you have to remember, too, that even though it's not new to you, it's new to the patient. Right. And I think trying to be reassuring and calming is, is maybe the, the best gift a pharmacist can have. Yeah. 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 Having someone that you can really interact with and talk with and then not, not just throw it over the counter and be like, all right, do this, this, and this. Right. Uh, let us know if you have any problems. Like, yeah, right. You're right. like, yeah. so, but once I have the problem, I feel like that's too far. <laughs> I, I, I agree. I agree. And again, you can't, you can't, you know, I, I liken it to there are some side effects that are like one in 10,000 people will happen to. And as much as you'd like to list everything, I mean, here is a beautiful, clear day here on Camano Island. It'd be like me warning you that, you know, if you step outside right now, you might be struck by lightning. So you kind of prepare for generalities, but don't tell them about every lightning strike (laughs) that could possibly occur. (laughs) Terrifying every patient. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. That no one would take anything. (laughs) Oh, very cool. So then, um, so you spent some time with QFC, um, kind of worked through that, then... Now, what are you kind of up to now? Well, you know, honestly, right now, um, uh, kind of for fun, I, I'm getting, like I said, the yard work. I'm getting some things done around the house. I picked up my guitar again, playing a little bit. Uh, I'm to- I'm writing a book. I don't know if it's going to go anywhere, but it's been a fun adventure to do. Something oh, very I always cool. wanted to do. Um, it may not. It may be lousy. My my wife's waiting till I'm done to read it. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, it's it's been a fun adventure. Even if nothing happens with it, it's been a really fun adventure. Very to, cool. Yeah. What's what's the basis of it? Uh, well, it's kind of based on a, uh, the end of World War II. It's kind of a historical fiction type of thing. Um, what happened to uh, the escaping escaped Nazis and how the uh, British and Americans uh, handled handled things. Oh, very cool. Oh, great. So are you more like a history buff? Is that something you... I am now. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, in school, 
Oh, my goodness. One of my least favorite subjects. Uh, I, I think just memorizing dates, but now a uh, huge World War II buff. I was fortunate enough, what, 20 years ago to, to go to the D-Day beaches in France, and it just... Uh, I ate in a restaurant where, in Austria where Charlemagne had eaten. Uh, it, it just it fascinates me. Or to stand, uh, stand on the Appian Way where, uh, where Rome... Uh, main thoroughfare of Rome. I, I just I just really find it enthralling. Um, if my TV's on, it's usually the History Channel. <laughs> <laughs> my wife's so tired of me watching Josh Gates, too, by the way, and he, he's, he's hilarious. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, I've, um, for me, history, history and geography, I'm terrible with. Um, but I, I find it fascinating hearing about history when someone's retelling me. Okay. Um, I have a friend who's super into... Uh, history and has always been like <clears throat> into war history and then like he jumped into like asian history and like kept going mm-hmm. into all the different things and so he would tell me stories and stuff that of how things happened and i thought that was fascinating but as a kid like oh. i did not enjoy history as a subject <laughs> well it seemed to me as i recall and maybe i just wasn't old enough to appreciate it i felt more like i was memorizing dates yeah uh what i'm more fascinating with is okay this happened and here's what occurred because of that. Yeah. Uh, I remember at the D-Day beaches at Omaha Beach, uh, a, a gal there that was kind of touring us, then took us to a German cemetery off the coast. And all the, all the uh, precise crosses on Omaha Beach are white, and as she explained, they're facing west, so they're facing home. And then we got to this German cemetery that was kind of tucked in the woods, and all the crosses were black, black uh, crosses. And she said, you have to remember, history is written by the winners. I thought, you know, that's a really good point. So there, there are some history that you have to look at more than one side, like so many things in life. Yeah. Uh, sometimes just getting one source. So that, that's what I find interesting is to get different perspectives on maybe the same historical event. Right. Right. Yeah. No, it's, it, it is really fascinating seeing um, different perspectives of, yeah, it's things that we've almost canonized, I guess, in his, in American history of this is what happened. This is, you know, we were always the good guys and this is sure. what happened. And you kind of sure. look through and you're, you know, kind of taken aback a little bit. It, it just, I mean, I guess it's a maturing thing, but it kind of opens your eyes to the world is not, you know, it, it's very, it's not as black and white as you thought it was. Sure. Um, and there's a lot of things that happen that, yeah, it's written by the victors. So yeah. that's how it happened. <laughs> well, my wife's and my, my and I's goal is to see all 50 states. And we've got to spend more than just landing in mm-hmm. the state. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to travel to Europe a couple of times, too. And I think what we've learned in our travels is most people really want the same things. Uh, we want family. We want happiness. We want opportunity. And it really struck me as, as a, I think we tend to get isolated in our own. Yeah, we're all busy people. And we get isolated in our own little world and not realize that no, we were really very, very similar people, mm-hmm. uh, and we are all just people. We're, we have good th- parts, bad parts, uh, good histories, bad histories. But I think to, you know, especially in this time uh, that we're going through right now in this country, I, I hope I'm not judged a hundred years from now on my actions based on what the thought is for what is happening a hundred years from now. Because I'm sure there are some things I've done that, that people look back 100 years from now and go, well, can you believe it did that? 
you know, I look at just my 35-year career in, in pharmacy. I mean, some of the medications and things that we did 35 years ago that were state-of-the-art, mm-hmm. we look back now and think, wow, <clears throat> did we used to do that? Yeah. Uh, not that it was bad at the time. It was the best that we had. Right. And I think people should remember that we're always advancing, hopefully, and hopefully we're all get, always getting better. Yeah. Yeah, my goal is to learn something new every day. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Sounds good. Well, thank you so much for joining me again. I like to end every podcast with some rapid-fire questions. So the first one is... Do you I, have... I, I, saw the, I saw these. You set these down, and I, I look at... Boy, these are, these are these will be the tough ones. <laughs> <laughs> They're the ones that get you out of your comfort zone. <laughs> do you have a lesser-known or favorite location on Camino Island that you like to hang out? Yeah, I thought about this, but I, I, I like it uh, for my, all for myself, so I'm not going to answer. No, I'm <laughs> You know, you know, I, I, I like so many places on on Camino. I, I, I fortunately, I, I got a German Shepherd who likes to be walked, and and I think because of her, we've we've just find all sorts of places. I, the, the new trail trails up. Uh, um, oh my gosh, I'm going blank on it all of a sudden. Barnum, uh, but yeah, thank you. Yeah, up in Barnum Point are 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 wonderful. I don't know of any that are really that hidden anymore. Uh, Love Iverson for high tide, low tide. Yeah. Uh, the the animals, the birds. Um, there was a time <laughs> when my wife was walking uh, our dog down there, and she thought she heard shotgun. And she goes, oh, that's odd. And she got toward the woods on the dike trail. She looked out, and sure enough, on the low tide, there were two hunters out there hunting. And she thought, well, that's kind of like shooting animals in a zoo. I mean, it's supposed to be a bird sanctuary there. Well, as she was leaving, the ranger apparently had gotten reports, and she was going to report, and sure enough, the ranger pulled up and said, Do you shit? Goes, yeah, I heard gunshots. <laughs> um, so <laughs> apparently that wasn't really hidden enough from the hunters because it's not allowed to be hunted down there. Uh, English Boom, love English Boom. Yeah. Um, there, there's a, just a, this last summer, there was a young eagle uh, in a huge nest right below where you park. Oh yeah. And we loved. We went down there about every other day and <clears throat> kind of watched. And we, each day you could see a little more activity. And then you saw him on the edge of the perch. And then one day he was out flying. And we didn't get to see him fly, but it, it was kind of fun to see that progress occur. Yeah. Um, gosh, what we love about Camino so much though is too that you've got water in places, you've got open fields in places, you've got forests in places, you've got marsh swampy type of land i mean you drive two miles and you're looking at a whole different view even if you're on the water yeah um you, the view is different mm-hmm. and it just never gets old yeah very cool all right pretend you have a friend coming from out of town visiting here uh what would their first day look like here oh gosh they'd probably kind of expect me to make them breakfast that'd be my, <laughs> probably no i'm just kidding the first day, they be visiting here or are they moving here? Visiting. 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 You know, well, I'd obviously I'd bring them down to the bakery because those almond croissants are, I have to get here early because I love them and they're usually gone. <laughs> um, and I'd probably just take them out and about to uh, some of the places I just mentioned just to see uh, see the shore, see the eagles, uh, show them some of the bird nests on the island, watch some of the boat traffic go by. Yeah. I mean, it's just... Just a really pleasant home we have here. Yep. All right. Who is an interesting or fascinating person in this community that I should interview next? Oh, gosh. 
Um, not sure of all of it you've interviewed, but I, I would probably uh, s- several of the artists on the island. I think would be a, mm-hmm. a good choice. I, I think they bring a, a, a roundness to, to the island here. I have so many favorites. I'd, I'd hate to name names, to be honest with you. Um, and I, several have become friends. So I think I would lean toward uh, uh, an artist of of some sort. I think they could give you a, a, a nice perspective. Yeah. Yep. All right. <clears throat> and lastly, if you could have a message on a billboard on Camino Island, right as you're driving up the hill, what would it say? Thank you. Um Thank you for the support you gave my store, my, my wife and I. Thank you for, for making this a wonderful community. We have, thank you for the volunteers that help so much in our community. Um, most of them not heard of, un, unsung, unheard. And thank you for making this a community. Um, our first su- uh, summer up here, we live uh, above Atzaladi and we weren't moved in yet, but we were stopping by to check the progress of the house. And we looked down, it happened to be the 4th of July, we were going to a friend's house up north. And we're looking down on Utsalati Road thinking, what the heck is going on? And then these Navy jets fly over. And it turned out it was it's a little community parade they have every year. And you just get things like that in all the neighborhoods. And I just said, just thank you for making this a wonderful place to live. Yeah, very good. Well, thank you again so much for joining me on the podcast today. My pleasure, Brent. I appreciate it very much. I hope this was uh, somewhat entertaining. Yeah, that was good. (laughs) Okay. All right. And Islanders, I will talk to you on the next one. Well, a big thank you to Mark Phibbs for joining me on the podcast today. And thank you for listening. If you haven't already, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. It really helps us be found by other Islanders like yourself. And for more information on this episode, you can go to kamenocommons.com slash EP53. That's tomatocommons.com slash EP53. Thanks for listening and see you next time.